Good morning. Today on this Lent one, we are talking about temptation. We read the story just now of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Mark Twain said, there are several good protections against temptation, but the surest is cowardice. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers growing up, tells a story of a son and a father in a discussion about temptation. Son, said the father, don't swim in that canal today. Okay, dad, he said. He said. Uh, but he came home carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been? demanded the father. Uh, swimming in the canal, answered the boy. Did I not tell you not to swim there? asked the father. Yes, sir, said the boy. Well, why did you do it? Well, dad, he explained, I had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. The dad says, why did you take your bathing suit with you? So that uh, I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. <laughs> I think we, we, we misunderstand temptation, sin and temptation. We have these three tendencies, I think, to, to do weird things when we try to wrap our minds and hearts around what's happening in our hearts, in our lives, our thoughts, words, and deeds with temptation. One is um, we have a tendency when we feel tempted to, to hate our humanity. It, we, we despise our human nature. If only I wasn't human, then I wouldn't have to feel this tension, right? But in fact, it's not our human nature that's the problem, not the nature that God originally created, that is. After all, Jesus himself took our human nature, did he not? He took on our human nature. Luke tells us in this story about Jesus' humanity when he says that Jesus didn't eat for 40 days and was, in verse 2, he was famished. So it's not our human nature as God made it that's the problem. It's what we do with our human nature. We'll get to that in a second. That's what leaves us feeling often so defeated. Our first tendency is we hate our human nature. The second tendency is we, we give the devil, we give Satan, we attribute to evil way more power than evil actually has. The desire toward thinking and saying and doing the wrong things can be so strong in us that we're tempted to believe Satan is more powerful than he is. It's like we read the story of Jesus and Satan in the wilderness, and we read it as if the, there are the, the, the powers of good and evil are battling it out. But the Scriptures teach that temptation comes from within us. He who is in us, Jesus, that is, is greater than he who is in the world. And uh, in um, Colossians, Paul says, on the cross, Christ disarmed the powers of evil. Satan is a created being, after all. So don't give evil too much power. That's not how to think about temptation. So don't hate your human nature. Don't attribute to evil more power than evil has. And here's the third thing we tend to do is we blame God. We start to think that God is playing mind games with us, right? That a good God would want us to struggle and fail. 
In, 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 in our passage, the first verse, uh, just like in the other synoptic gospels, we're told that Jesus only went into the wilderness where he was tested by Satan because he was led there. That's an interesting topic to, to tackle in this passage. What does it mean that Jesus was led into the wilderness? Why would God do that, right? We often, in our translation of the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray this way every time. Lead us not into temptation. Uh, and it sounds as if God could or would deliberately lead us into temptation. What about the story of Job? Doesn't Satan uh, come to God and God says to Satan something like, have you considered my servant Job? That's like the worst thing you'd ever hear, right? Have you considered tempting Josh? He's ripe. He's ready to be tempted. So let's not do these three things when we think about temptation. Let's not hate our human nature that we can be weak, that we can be famished, that we can have desires to know and be known, to love and be loved. Let's not attribute to evil more power, and let's certainly not think that God is playing mind games with us. Let's think about it this way instead. The Scriptures teach that sin and temptation are not about our original God-created humanity. It's what we do with it. And what we do with it has, uh, comes directly from our family inheritance. You said, good grief, Josh. I've got enough family problems as it is. You're telling me that my sin is a family issue? It is. The Bible teaches sin is a family issue because our original head, our original representative, our leader, our front runner, that is Adam, sinned. And that we, you and I, weren't, we weren't in the Garden of Eden on that fateful day when the world was broken in two, but our representative was, and we were in him. That's how the Scriptures talk about it. We could go on forever discussing this theology of sin, but that's not where our gospel leads us. Enough to say, this is from Romans 5. This is how St. Paul describes this being in Adam, that sin and temptation are a direct result of being uh, human beings who descend from our representative Adam. Paul says it this way, therefore, Romans 5, 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Today's gospel is the story of Jesus Christ, who is himself fully human, being tempted. So turning to this story now, we can better understand why Luke and some of the other gospel writers give us this account of our Lord's temptation, and perhaps even why Luke presents this story about Jesus being tempted by the devil in the way he does. This is our theme today, by the way. The only way out of sin and temptation this Lenten season for you and me is by uniting ourselves to a different representative, a different leader, a different head of our race. We want to disconnect ourselves from Adam and connect ourselves to Jesus, to join Jesus, to be in Jesus, to be, as Paul will say in his writings, united to Jesus. So let's explore this together. If you've got the passage in front of you in the Blue Pew Bible, we're in Luke chapter 4. At first, I imagined Luke saying to us something like, if we say to Luke, hey Luke, this Lenten season, what should we do when we're tempted? 
What should we do? I, I imagine if Luke's going to use Paul, Paul's words, it would be something like, well, unite yourself to Jesus' power. Because the story, Luke says, the way the story I heard that from Mark or from Matthew or from whomever, it goes like this. Jesus, verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Unite yourselves to Jesus's, I'm sorry, his pilot, his leader. That is God. In other words, unite yourself to the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit pilot you, lead you, steer you. Know that the Spirit is leading and empower you in every moment of your life. By, by the way, how else could a human being move into a time of trial and expect to come out the other end victorious unless the God of the universe, who's more powerful than evil, is the one steering you? There's no other way. Now, admittedly, as I just mentioned, this can be confusing. What does it mean that God would pilot Jesus into the wilderness or that he would pilot you and me into a time of trial and testing? Does it mean that God tempts us? The scriptures teach absolutely not. God does not tempt anyone. There is no evil in God. St. Cyril of Alexandria, a church father, comments on Luke's gospel, and he explains this being led or piloted into a time of trial like this. Jesus was led, therefore, St. Cyril says, in the spirit, in the wilderness, 40 days, being tempted of the devil. What, therefore, is the meaning of the word led? And he answers it like this. It signifies not so much that he was conducted thither, as that he dwelt and continued there. For we ourselves also are accustomed to say of any who lives religiously, so-and-so, whoever it may be, is a well-conducted person. And we give the title of pedagogue or teacher not to signify according to some literal interpretation that they actually lead and conduct boys this exact way, but that they take care of them. They teach, they they uh, take care of them and well and laudably train them and educate them, conduct themselves with propriety. In essence, God is in charge of your life. He's piloting you, and yes, even into the storms, and God willing, through the storms, He's in charge. There's never a moment when God is out of control of your life, even in the moments when you're being tempted. Another way to pray the Lord's Prayer, one of, recently the Pope has actually mentioned this, and it caused quite a stir in the, in the, in the world of Christianity, um, save us from the time of trial. God, when you do bring us, when you pilot us through a storm, save us in that moment. So yes, Jesus was piloted into a storm, and we want to be piloted into that storm by the same person, God himself, right? So unite yourselves to, to Jesus' pilot in the story. Here's the second thing. Unite yourself to Jesus' power, his sustenance, his nourishment. In this same verse, Luke tells us that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and also that he was fasting. Indeed, he was famished. You say, Josh, that's not power. That's weakness, right? After 40 days, Jesus was famished. Christianity, along with other religions, uh, has long taught that the denial of the body, what we, what we all do in Lent, in a sense, makes us, as humans, pay more attention to the rest of us. 
So we deny our bodies, and what comes to our, into our awareness is that we are more than our bodies, namely our souls. And so Jesus goes into this time of temptation empty in his body, but full in his spirit, right? Um, and just before this story, uh, well, Luke, Luke starts off this, this story with, he returned from the Jordan. Do you remember what happened in the Jordan? Jesus was what? Baptized. Luke presents Jesus moving into this time of trial, having been recently baptized and therefore now full of God's Spirit, empowered to live the life that God has called him to live, to complete his mission. Christian, as a baptized member of the family of God, you have everything you need to live out your calling of righteousness and holiness as a mom, as a dad, as a lawyer, as a whatever. You have everything you need from your baptism because God has filled you with his Holy Spirit just like he filled Jesus Christ. So perhaps in this Lenten season, like Jesus, you might want to uh, refrain from food or drink or some other bodily thing in order to become aware of just how much God has made you strong in your spirit. Unite yourself to Jesus's pilot and to Jesus's power, the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing Luke might say for us this Lenten season, according to the gospel story of Jesus' temptation. Unite yourself to Jesus's plan, his strategy, his tactics. Look at verse three, if you have the passage with me. Luke chapter four, verse three. The first temptation, the devil said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, one doesn't live by bread alone. Skip down to verse seven. Satan said, if you then, Jesus, will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And finally, verse 12, after Satan tempts Jesus a third time, Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Friends, let us this Lenten season not take for granted the power of God's word, of learning it, chewing on it, meditating it, memorizing it, getting it into your bones through a podcast or whatever, right? I know this is dramatic and overstating uh, the point, but when my uh, six-year-old and three-year-old daughters inevitably face trials in the years to come, trials and testing, whatever that may be for them, for as much as I love the uh, Disney songs of Alan Menken and Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I do love their songs, I hope that there is, please God, something of the scriptures buried in their own little psyches that flows out of their lips, right? When they have to fight whatever evil may come. We move about the house during the week and the Disney songs play and it's so much fun to have little princesses, you know, flitting around and everything and singing the songs. And, and um, I grew up with two sisters, so I heard enough of Little Mermaid first go around, but now I'm, here we are again. 
And of course, now it's Bruno. Who is, I don't even, I haven't watched the movie yet, so I don't know who Bruno is, and I really don't want to talk about Bruno, okay? But I hope, I hope for Mindy and me that we do our due diligence, not in some kind of weird legalistic way, but I hope we can fill our daughters with the Word of God because when they go through times of trial, when God pilots them into the wilderness, I want my daughters to know how to fight evil in the world and in themselves. And they don't fight it with violence or anything else. They fight it with the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. Finally, be strong in the Lord, St. Paul says in Ephesians 6, and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So unite yourselves to Jesus' pilot. Unite yourself to Jesus' power, the Spirit given to you in baptism. Unite yourself to Jesus' plan, quoting, knowing, using the word of God. And here's the last thing, and this is the best point of all. Because I'm sure we could go on finding other ways to follow in Jesus' footsteps from this story. You say, Josh, what if, what if I do all these things, I'm in the moment of temptation, and I know God's in charge, I've got a verse of scripture on my lips, right? I'm remembering my baptism. I can feel the water of baptism moving out of the out of the church in the little baptismal fonts. Thank, thank God they, they finally put the water back in there, right? So I go out into the world remembering that I'm full of the Spirit, and nevertheless, I fail. <laughs> I blow it big time. And all my effort and all my work, all my Scripture memory, and because we're like Adam. We, we, we will fail, no matter how hard we try, we will give in to temptation. Here's the best news of today. That even in our failure, Jesus is our champion. Jesus is humanity's champion. He's our head. He's our representative. So remember when we all got caught up with Adam and Eve, even though we weren't in the garden? We all had to run the laps, right? Just because of that one person. We were in Adam. Well, now we're in Christ. We are in Jesus. So his victory is our victory. So unite yourselves not just to his power and his pilot and his plan, but to Jesus himself, to his person. Unite yourselves to your champion. His victory is your victory. And when you fail, you know what his victory accomplished? Your forgiveness. Even your failure has been already taken care of. Can you believe it? Someone uh, long ago, I can't remember who it was, said something like, grace is, in Christianity, grace, that word we throw around so much, is the freedom to fail and know that you are still loved. The freedom to fail and know that you are still loved. John Henry Newman put it in his hymn like this, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. If you're new to the Christian faith or you're new to this uh, expression of it, uh, this beautiful expression of it in the Episcopal Church, um, or perhaps you've been around so long in the Anglican tradition that uh, uh, the words that we say and pray um, have become numb. I know 
it's strange how we talk about uh, this second part of our worship service that's coming up after the preacher finally leaves the pulpit. We talk about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. Y'all, that is weird. Hear it again. Eating flesh and drinking blood, that is weird, and it should never not sound weird to us. But somehow, when you think about it the way we're talking about it today, being united with our representative, it's not weird at all. I want to be as close to Jesus as I can, right? I need his power. I need his forgiveness. I want to eat him and drink. I want what Jesus is inside of Josh. So in a very tangible way, we unite ourselves physically, tangibly, smelling the bread and wine, tasting it, touching it. We unite ourselves no longer with Adam, but with Jesus, with God's Son. We do it by mingling our flesh with his flesh, our blood with his blood, our very selves with his very self. So friends, take and eat, take and drink this day. Jesus Christ, be united with your champion, the one who has conquered sin, death, and the grave on all of our behalfs. Amen.